I suspect that some of our usual evening service folks looked ahead and thought, would I rather meditate on curses in the book of Deuteronomy or enjoy one of the last sunny days of the year and maybe opted for the last sunny day of the year? And it's hard to uh, blame them. Curses are not one of our favorite things to talk about. It's interesting, the book of Deuteronomy ends with both curses and blessings. We end our worship services still with blessings following in that pattern, but wouldn't it be funny if next week, instead of a benediction, we stood up and I gave a firm curse to remind you of the obligations God places on you? Well, uh, by the end of tonight, hopefully it'll be clear why we don't end our services with curses, but only with blessings. But why curses at all? What are these curses about? Uh, the curse is a way to bind yourself by an oath in the ancient world. So, uh, for example, um, I, didn't, I didn't look up the reference, so you'll just have to more or less believe me that this is true. But uh, some of the Hittites would be bound by oath when they went out to war, and the general would like take out a cow's heart, and they'd stab it with a sword and say, may this happen to you if you're a coward in this battle. And all the people would say, amen. We're taking this curse on ourselves. We're binding ourselves by oath. Curses and blessings were typical at the end of an ancient Near Eastern covenant. We've talked about how Deuteronomy follows this sort of, uh, a lot of these themes from a political covenant in the ancient world. So treaties and, or, or, or blessings and curses in these ancient covenants were the equivalent to penalty clauses in a modern contract. We sign some contracts and there's no penalties and it's like, well, yeah, I'll sign the contract, but what happens if I, you know, if I resign from this job that I signed a contract for or something like that? Well, you quit getting paid, but there's not much more than that. But other kinds of contracts, like making an offer on a house, you have some earnest money that's down, and after a certain point, you lose that earnest money, right? That there's penalties for breaking the contract, at least after a certain point. And the curses functioned kind of that way. Uh, I did look up an example for us real quick in, in case you were interested. This is from the Vassal Treaty of Esarhaddon. Um, and it goes, you know, all the, the things, here's what you should do. Things like if someone in the palace starts a revolt, whether by day or night, whether on the road or in the hinterland, against Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, you must not listen to him, etc., etc. It goes on like that for about half the treaty. And then the whole second half of the treaty is a bunch of curses. Okay? May Asher, the god of, uh, king of the gods, who determines the fates, decree for you an evil unpropitious fate, and not grant your fa you fatherhood, old age, ripe old age. May Ninlil, his beloved wife, induce him to pronounce evil for you. She shall not intercede. Keeps going this way of all these various gods. Uh, and then they start to get creative somewhere on here. on and so on. Uh, what's strikingly different at the end of Deuteronomy here is that these curses don't appeal to a whole bunch of gods. In fact, they don't really appeal to any god here. It simply is, is an assertion. And so the, the monotheism of Deuteronomy 
strongly shapes the way that the, these uh, covenant, doc, uh, covenant framework is used in the book of Deuteronomy. So the curses function in a similar way, though, that it's, it's the conclusion to the whole covenant of the book of Deuteronomy. It, it's the enforcement clauses. Uh, it's what gives teeth to the covenant. Well, in verses 11, oh, I need to read it, don't I? We're going to read from verse 11 through the end of the chapter, and then we'll uh, discuss this. That day, Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebel for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. This is God's word. Okay, verses 11 through 14, then, that initial portion is the staging for this ceremony. Verse 11, Moses gives instructions to the people. Verse 12 saying, when you cross the Jordan, when you enter into the promised land, set up for this ceremony in this way. Uh, remember the portion we looked at last week, it was building an altar and setting up a monument that had the words of the Torah written on it on Mount Ebel. So they're already in the region of Mount Ebel. And then it's saying, furthermore, on Mount Gerizim, it will be a symbol of blessing, and you will have Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin stand on that mountain. Uh, note that when Levi is counted as one of the 12 tribes, then Joseph stands for Ephraim and Manasseh. So uh, when Levi is not counted as one of the 12 tribes, so when it's talking about where they get portions of land and Levi's spread out, then Ephraim and Manasseh are counted as individual tribes, Joseph's two sons. But when Levi is counted as one of the 12 tribes, as here, then Ephraim and Manasseh are together referred to as Joseph. Uh, a total aside, but just an interesting thing to note. Uh, then verse 13, Mount Ebel, 
will be a symbol of the curse. And Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali will assemble on that mountain. And I'm sure as Moses is reading this off, the people of Naphtali are like, I I see where this is headed. We're going to be on the curse side, not looking forward to that. Well, why are some tribes on one side, some tribes are on the other? What's that about? Well, these are two mountains, uh, not with a ridge connecting them, but rather with a pass between them. And so the symbolism is that there are two ways standing before Israel. Some of the people on one side, some on the other. And it's, it's, it's meant to symbolize you can go one of two ways. You can go the way of the curse, uh, or actually the blessing comes first. You can go the way of blessing, or you can go the way of the curse. And at the end of the book, Moses is going to say there's two ways before you, the way of life and the way of death. We're going to see that throughout the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And so this is, is meant to symbolize this, that, that Israel can wind up experiencing the curse or experiencing the blessing. Remember that uh, the altar and the copy of the law were set up on Mount Ebel, which is the mountain of the curse. And that's interesting. We might think it should be the other way, that the altar and the law would be on the mountain of the blessing. But the symbolism seems to be that the covenant, the words of the law, are under the shadow of the curse. Uh, To put it another way, You don't choose to go get the curse and say, we're going to do X, Y, and Z practice and get the curse. But rather, by not keeping the covenant, you by default wind up on the way of the curse. So there's there's no neutral. There's no staying in the valley here. There's one of two mountains that you wind up on, the blessing or the curse. Verse 14 then, Moses, of course, will not cross into the, over the Jordan River. And so the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. And we'll look at what they declare in just a minute. In passing, it's interesting that they declare it specifically to all the men of Israel. Now, insofar as I understand what biblical headship means, uh, there's a lot of passages that go on about it. It seems to me that this passage makes it clear that it is primarily about responsibility for family covenant faithfulness, not about who's in charge. Okay, Moses doesn't say here, all the men tell everybody else what to do or something like that. No, he says the men especially need to hear the curses that can come upon their family if they're not faithful to the law. And so in the biblical mode, uh, as far as we want to talk about something like headship, being head means being responsible for your family, uh, especially for their spiritual nurture. Uh, It doesn't mean who's the boss or something along those lines. Verses 15 through 20. Oh, sorry, we'll pause there. Just on the staging and all of that. Uh, any, any, any comments or, or observations, questions? Okay, then let's look at these curses. These curses are interesting. They're mostly about secret or private transgressions. Most of these are things that you probably would never get caught out in. Or at least in theory, you could get away with doing without ever getting caught. Okay, you could move a boundary stone and no one would ever know. You could dishonor your parents by talking poorly about them behind their back and you'd never be found out. Okay, Uh, two times it actually makes it explicit. Verse 15, the beginning, uh, setting up an idol in secret. Verse 24, towards the end, striking someone down and killing them in secret. Okay, so these are about things that you do in private. Now, if you approach Deuteronomy or the the Old Testament or the Bible as a whole with a sort of legalistic mindset, your mindset is, if I don't get caught, then I got away with it. 
But Deuteronomy is saying, no, these, that's not the way that you should approach these. And saying, even if you never get caught, we don't get away with it, at least in the eternal sense, because we are all still accountable to God. But we also see in these curses a picture of Israel's hierarchy of values. Uh, in a sense, uh, th- these 12 curses, they're kind of similar to the Ten Commandments in some ways, and they track with them. Notice it begins first in verse 15 with a curse on those who make idols. And the wording of this first uh, uh, curse here in verse 15 echoes the first and second commandment. Again, it's even in secret, okay? Uh, In Gideon's day, it seems like there's this idol to Baal, I think. I might be wrong on who it's to, but it's set up in the town square. And then remember, he destroys it at night. I mean, that's a very public idol that everybody sees. Uh, But lots of houses, uh, apparently, as far as archaeologists can tell, uh, houses sometimes would have had these little niches in the wall where there'd be a little household idol set up in it. Remember when uh, Jacob flees with Rachel and Leah, Rachel steals the household gods. They're probably some little... um, uh, if you've ever gone to like Yellowstone or Wyoming, you see these these like Hopi little Indian figurines. You know, that that's the kind of thing that, that it would be, these little little idol figurines. Okay, well, you could put one of those up in your house and maybe you pull the little curtain over it when visitors come over and no one ever knows that you have this idol in your house. And yet, uh, nevertheless, it is breaking God's command and it still bears the curse, even if you're never found out. Let's drill down here for a minute. Ephesians 5.5 equates covetousness with idolatry. Now, we may not carve or cast idols with our hands. We may not carve or cast physical idols. But we do set up idols in secret in our hearts when we covet. Okay, we look around and we say, if I had that job, if I had that family, that house, that car, you know, whatever it is, we look around and we covet what we see, we're setting up an idol, and our secret covetousness, just as much as these idols in ancient Israel, bears the curse of the law. So first, the highest on Israel's scale of values is honoring God rightly and not setting up idols and turning aside from him. The second it turns to then is a curse on those who dishonor their parents. Kids, here's a stern one. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. I made a comment there about headship for a second that the men specifically are addressed, but notice the father and mother are equal here. It's not saying you've got to honor the father, but you can walk all over the mother or something like that. Uh, honor the father and the mother. This is the flip side of the fifth commandment. The fifth commandment is stated positively. Uh, six through ten are do not do this, do not do this, do not do this. But the fifth commandment is positive. It doesn't say, do not dishonor your father and mother, but positive, honor your father and mother. And you'll recall that the fifth commandment comes with a promise. Uh, The New Testament says it's the first commandment with a promise. But now we see that the, the, the positive side comes with a promise. The negative side, dishonoring parents, comes with a curse for breaking it. Now, parents, uh, of course, like this morning, I'm not perfect at this, but my ideal, at least, is to try to emphasize with my kids in context of discipline that it's important for our children to honor us, not because we want to be honored, not because we deserve to be honored, but because it's God's law and because we want them to obey God's law. And ultimately, that's what's important, not our own individual being honored. So the scale of values from honoring God 
to honoring parents. And so we see that functioning families is a cornerstone of Israel society, right worship and then well-functioning families. Sorry, I didn't program any good discussion questions in tonight, but I'll, so I'll just pause here. Are there any, any comments or questions, discussion on, on either of those? Okay, then, uh, then the next we come to a group of three laws in verses uh, uh, 17, 18, and 19 that all concern our care for others. Verses 17 says there's a curse for anyone who moves a neighbor's landmark. What's a landmark? What's it talking about here? Is it saying if you move Mount Rushmore or the Statue of Liberty, a landmark like that, that you're cursed? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, land boundaries. Yep, Jack's got it. Yeah, so these, these landmarks, it's not Mount Rushmore or something, but the ancient equivalent of a surveyor's stake or ribbon, okay? Uh, st- like standing stones oftentimes were set up as a boundary marker. Okay, well, if you're out in the field in the back 40, you can imagine how easy it would be to move the boundary stone and maybe your neighbor never knows about it. Uh, maybe you've even been tempted if you're on property, you find the surveyor's flag and you think, well, I'm just going to move this a few trees away and gain a little bit more land off my neighbor. Again, it's something that you perhaps maybe never would be found out on. And yet Moses says you know, they bear the curse of the law. Moving the standing stone, even taking a few feet off someone else's field, by the time you run it along the property line, it ends up being quite a bit of square feet, and you're stealing part of their livelihood, part of their grazing land or their field that they plow. But you're not only stealing part of their livelihood and therefore their life, but you're stealing part of their covenant blessing. They're given the land as the covenant blessing, and you're infringing upon that. Verse 18, then, a second uh, curse on those who who don't care for others. It's a curse on those who mislead the blind or take advantage of the blind. It seems to me that this is probably symbolic of the larger principle of taking advantage of those who um, uh, don't have power or are... um, I can't think of the right word. The helpless, that's the right word. (laughs) Taking advantage of the helpless. I mean, certainly if someone plays a dirty trick and tells a blind man to go the wrong way, uh, they bear the curse of the law. But it's hard for me to imagine that this is like something that comes up on a regular basis. But in Leviticus 19.14, there's a parallel law. Uh, You shall not curse the deaf who don't hear that you're mocking them, or put a stumbling block before the blind. Rather, you shall fear the Lord your God, or you shall fear your God. I am Yahweh. And then the third law, verse nineteen, or the third curse, is on those who pervert justice for this same triad that should be quite familiar to you from Deuteronomy. Now, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow—three who Deuteronomy is centrally concerned with. Yeah, Nate. Yep. Um, yep. And you almost need that uh, picture before you of, I don't know, some evil person who's, you know, putting blocks of wood in front of a blind man who's yep. down the street tripping them. I mean, it, it's so repulsive to us. You'd go and do as kids, you'd knock their heads together and send them on their way. But, yeah. Um, it, it like captures you 
in such a way that then you're supposed to have that same attitude for any of these yeah. other sins that we may very easily have. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Um, There's all sorts of examples you can keep driving out. Yep. You can cheat people because they're not yet. Yeah. Yeah, and that's this next this next on uh, curse in 19 of perverting justice for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, people that you could easily take advantage of in a legal setting. It's just as bad as as misleading a blind person or tripping a blind person. They're helpless, uh, perhaps even powerless without an advocate. Um uh, unless righteous people advocate for them. That's what Job says he does in, in the book of Job. He's evidence of his righteousness. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right, Nate. Um, a kind of crass illustration, that movie Dumb and Dumber, when they sell the dead parakeet to the blind boy at the beginning. I mean, Moses is kind of saying, if you do any of these things, if you mock your parents behind their back, if you uh, set up an idol, any of that is just as bad as those guys in that movie um, doing that. Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks. Good discussion, guys. Okay, next, um, there's a group of four curses beginning at verse 20 through verse 23 on four different sexual offenses. Again, the fact that these are being cursed and everything else that's being cursed here, it tends to be things in secret. Uh, there's a lot of laws about who you can and can't sleep with in the Old Testament, but the sense is not, remember, there's no police force set up in ancient Israel. And so there's not someone going door to door, knocking on the door, trying to break down doors and find people that are breaking these laws. Um, Rather, in general, you would come under one of these laws if you're breaking it in such a flagrant way that people around you are aware of it. And yet, even though you might get away with one of these things, nevertheless, you bear the curse of the law. That you, You might think you're getting away with it, but you never ultimately do get away with it. Verse 20 and 23 are kind of uh, 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 parallel cursed for relations with a stepmother or a mother-in-law verse 21 any kind of bestiality is cursed and verse 22 uh, relations with a with with a sibling is cursed and so all four of these are not simply wrong because they're forms of adultery or sexual immorality although they certainly are that but they also undo the basic social fabric they're they're, they're uh, violations of social order and so if the highest or second highest value is honoring your parents and it's reinforcing the family as a cornerstone, these specific offenses that are called out here are different ways of undoing the family as a cornerstone. Any questions about those specific? Yeah, Nate. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, a lot of confusion in, <laughs> in 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 Israel's family history that, and you see it lead to all kinds of tr- trouble in in Genesis and. Yep. 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 Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, 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 I guess maybe I'm supposed to repeat some of the stuff for the life feed, but no, no, it's great, great observations there. Um, verses 24 and 25 then, there's two curses on two types of murder. Cursed is anyone who murders his neighbor in secret or strikes down his neighbor in secret. Okay, you might think you have the perfect crime, some kind of an Agatha Christie type situation where no one's ever going to figure it out. I think I saw headlines that the police think they might have figured out who the um, uh, Zodiac, you know, the Zodiac killer is recently, but still don't know for sure. Um, You know, you might think you've got away with it, but again, you're ultimately accountable to God and bear the curse. And then verse 25 is interesting. It's saying accepting a bribe to shed innocent blood. So this is a legal setting um, is equivalent to murder. Okay, you can say, well, I didn't pull the trigger. Um, Well, (laughs) Israel, uh, you're you're nevertheless accountable. And then the very last curse, the 12th curse. Okay, we might feel pretty good up to this point. We can say it's a, you know, I, I got to watch out that I'm not setting up idols and being covetous, but a lot of this other stuff I'm feeling pretty good about. But then notice this last one, cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. The New Testament picks this up. It says, if you break the law at one point, you're liable to the entire law. So we might feel pretty good up to this point, And yet who among us can say, yes, we've perfectly kept the law by doing everything in it. And notice that's a positive command. It's, it's not just saying uh, it, it, anyone who's broken one of these, but it's saying unless you do them, so you've done all the positive things, the generous things that we've seen in a variety of ways. Well, to each of these curses, Israel responds, amen, which means let it be so, let it happen. They're taking the curses upon themselves. Okay, this is a very serious uh, relationship that they're entering into. Uh, kids, well, maybe kids don't know about blood oaths. Do you guys do that still? Uh, if not, don't worry about it. But uh, older folks remember as kids when you, you know, th- this kind of a thing. That's what they're, they're saying here is like, yes, this is serious. I'm taking this on myself, taking the curses upon ourselves. Well, if we are bound by covenant to a God who says, do not set up idols, even covetous idols in your heart. And you will be cursed if you don't confirm the words of this law by doing them, by doing all the positive things, avoiding all the negative things. What then is our hope? Are we too liable to these curses? Galatians says the one who does the law shall live by it. But do we confirm the words of the law by doing them all? Well, our hope comes in Galatians just moving forward a little bit in that chapter, chapter 3. Verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Okay, we were liable to these curses. And uh, either next week or the week after, we're going to see a whole bunch more curses here for breaking the law, for not doing all the positive elements of the law. And yet Christ became the curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So Christ has fulfilled the law. And reflecting on these curses, it's interesting how many of these track with Jesus' own life. 
Some of them kind of seem like non sequiturs, but Jesus refused to worship any but the true God when tempted. Jesus honored his earthly parents and his heavenly father. Uh, he didn't seem, as far as I'm aware, you know, the moving a landmark doesn't seem particularly relevant to Jesus' life. But so far from misleading the blind on the way, Jesus heals the blind who are on the way. Moses, you'll recall, even Moses broke these and bore the curse because Moses murdered his neighbor in secret, thinking that somehow he could free his... You remember when uh, the Egyptian is beating up his Israelite friend or or, uh, whatever. The other Israelite, Moses, kills the guy and buries his body and he thinks he's got away with it. He struck him down in secret. Okay, so even Moses has done this. And yet Christ, so far from striking down in secret... He's almost described, or he is described here in verse 25, that he's betrayed by someone who takes a bribe and his innocent blood is then shed. And yet Paul says it's not just that his innocent blood is shed, but it's shed so that he can become the curse for us so that we can have the blessing. So as we read these curses, it can feel weighty. (laughs) We think, why are these curses here? And yet it's a reminder to us of the greatness of Christ's work for us. Uh, It's a reminder of the weightiness of our own actions, that even what we do in secret, we're accountable to God, and so our need for the gospel. Any other last thoughts or observations? Yeah, Dan. Yes. Yes. All, all comes together. Yeah, every promise is yes and amen in Christ. Is that, uh, that's not in Revelation, but yeah. Yeah, Steve. Yep. 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 Yeah. Everyone is trying to do his neighbor good. Everyone is trying to help the, the disfortunate and the, and, and the person who is not blessed with uh, as much as I have. I mean, this is a, a wonderful picture of what God would have for his people to, to come close to him. Yep. Not just uh, a list of things that are do's and don'ts that, that we have to be concerned about. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, so it's, um, we're, or here in Deuteronomy, they're entering into a covenant relationship with a holy God, and there is 
a reality to that holiness. It's, it's, it's like playing with live electricity, rewiring a house or something like you can't just mess around with it and expect not to get shocked. Uh, one of the commentaries on first Peter used this line. You can't live like hell and expect to get to heaven, that there's a reality that our lives need to be transformed, uh, as we follow after God. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dan. Yep. 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 That's right. Yep. Yeah, that it's in that larger context of the book of Deuteronomy that so often the land the Lord your God is giving you, the land your Lord your God is giving you, and when you've crossed over the Jordan is how this, this passage begins. So uh, inheritors of the promise already, and then they need to live... Uh, a holy life. Uh, that's Leviticus's language, but be holy as I am holy. Uh, the same thought there. Yeah, Steve. This became very real to me that many of these things that we're being asked to do will cost us something. Um, and that if, um, not able to see things the way you do, then it's going to cost you something to help them. Mm-hmm. But we're obligated to do that by this particular curse that if we don't, uh, God will judge us in the end as being not willing to be like Himself, who is gracious to us in, in, in all things. Yeah. about Jesus's own fulfillment of that uh, when he stops to heal I'm thinking of uh, is it blind Bartimaeus in John 9 but when he stops to heal him Jesus is already on the way somewhere he's got somewhere to be and yet he stops to engage with this blind man and help him that it is it is costly to us all right well should we end with a song you had one Nate <laughs>